I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I talk with Katie Bethel, founder of PLUS, a national campaign to win paid family leave by 2022. The idea of paid family leave is becoming mainstream, and it's about time. The U.S. is the only developed country that doesn't mandate paid family time off to women after they give birth. But today's guest, Katie Bethel, launched a national campaign to change all that. PLUS, or Paid Leave for the U.S., founded by Katie Bethel, is a campaign which aims to win paid family leave by 2022. And doing this by 2022, it does seem ambitious. But when I talk with Katie Bethel, her enthusiasm and her confidence in winning on this issue, I'm fully convinced that this will happen. And that's good news for all of us. So here's my conversation with Katie Bethel. Katie Bethel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. So I feel like family leave is one of those issues that we've always thought of as a luxury, right? It's a nice to have, right? It's kind of like healthcare. It's something that you end up chasing, you know, going from job to job. And if you get the right job, you're in luck. You have great healthcare or you have paid family leave. But if you don't, you're just out of luck, right? But as I start to understand ideas around reproductive justice and just that concept generally, having paid family leave is a basic right. It's a basic reproductive right, right? Do you feel like that's becoming a more common way to see it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm out talking about paid family leave every day with pretty much every type of person you can possibly imagine. And the thing that ties a lot of those people together is this sense that in the U.S., our lack of policy to support mothers in particular, but I think families more broadly, it's not just like a missed opportunity, which it is. Um, you know, family leave totally helps grow the economy. It's not just unhealthy, which it is. Paid family leave helps improve childhood health, improves maternal health, all those things. It's also just profoundly disrespectful of the work that it takes to have a baby grow in your body and then <laughs> welcome it to the world. Um, and and uh, feed it and nurture it in those early months of life where it's really 100% of your focus. Um, I mean, we have somebody who just came back from maternity leave at Plus. We, of course, have a, a good maternity leave policy. And she's like feeling great and has a, what, what she would call an easy baby, um, whatever that means. Um, and she's still like, you know, I'm waking up every four hours, even three months in. And so many parents like just the lack of sleep alone is something that really we just don't think about. So yes, family leave needs to be a core part of sort of fundamental supports for families. And the US is the only country in the world, alongside Papua New Guinea, we're one of two countries in the world that doesn't offer some kind of paid time off for new parents. So everyone else has figured this out and is moving this forward. And it's time for us to do it too. Wow. You know, I was going to ask you what the because I knew that there were two countries, I was going to ask you what the second country was. I did not know it was Papua New Guinea. That's sad for us, right? What's wrong with us? <laughs> well, let me give a little context for like what it means that we don't have this policy. So right now in the U.S., one out of every four people who give birth are back at work within 10 days of giving birth. 
So we can just ignore babies for a second and just look at people who have had babies in their bodies. And when you have a baby in your body and that baby comes out, there is universal agreement by doctors and insurance companies and everyone that it takes six to eight weeks to recover from that just for your body to to get to the point where you can walk and go to the bathroom the way you used to, right? But in the US, 25% of people giving birth are back at work within 10 days, their bodies aren't better. So paid family leave is really, really critical just for reaching that basic level of support postpartum. The other thing that a lot of people, I think, don't know is that about 85% of Americans today don't get a single day of paid family leave. So I talk to a lot of people in sort of professional class. We do a lot of work with tech companies and that sort of thing that have these kinds of policies on the books in their workplaces. So it's easy to forget that for most people, even a single day of paid time off is totally off the table for them. It's not something that their employers provide. So that's why we need public policy. When I think about like why the US doesn't have it, I mean, I have a really nerdy like history story that I can tell you if you really want to hear it. Um, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. I'll do that. Um, and what we have right now in the US is this unprecedented opportunity to change it. This is a moment when people are talking about this issue more than ever before across partisan lines. I've been working in this issue for let's see, since um, for almost 15 years. And this moment is different and special. And we've got to double down on it to push it to a win. So I want to hear the, the nerdy history story. Nerdy history story. A lot of people ask me, why doesn't the US have paid family leave when every other country does? Um, and there's a really straightforward historical explanation for this. So the first paid family leave policies that really went on the books were in Europe post-World War II. So World War II obviously killed a lot of men. And in the Reconstruction period, policymakers realized that if they were going to be able to rebuild their countries across the continent, they needed to have women be able to both work to start to rebuild the economy now and have babies to rebuild the population um, so that those countries could recover from this devastating war. So that's what they did. They put into place paid family leave, childcare, universal childcare policies, universal healthcare policies, this whole package of policies that help people have families and work at the same time. And in the US, we told a really different story. The story that our policymakers and economists were telling is our boys are coming home. Um, and it shouldn't be lost on us that those policymakers and economists were all sort of cisgendered hetero white men who were all viewing policymaking through the lens of this sort of idea of the, the nuclear family with a mom, a dad, two, ki two and a half kids and a dog. And their policymaking reflects that. It completely ignored the women of color who had been working and continued to work after the war. It focused entirely on that story that our boys are coming home, the women who entered the workforce in response to the war could now go back to being homemakers. And that was going to be what would be sort of the stable American family that would drive us forward. And what a huge missed opportunity. I mean, the policies that they have in Europe, 
they really drive much stronger women's labor force participation, which we need. So in the U.S., it's about 75%. 75% of women are participating in the paid workforce. In countries that have paid family leave policies, it's 85%. So a lot more women work when you have policies in place that really make that possible. And paid family leave is one of the sort of keystone policies that does that. Wow. So it took a world war (laughs) (laughs) for them to value women in the workplace, but just in Europe. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, but yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you know, all of those, many of those European countries are like colonizing countries. And so then those policies got passed through around the world through colonization and blah, blah, blah. Um, So (laughs) just if you want like an extra nerdy icing on that cake. Um, So yeah, and the US missed the boat, but we don't have to miss the boat anymore. Um, We know that we need to have families where everyone can work um, if they so choose outside of the home. And that that's really good for our country, that even as people are, you know, out there earning a paycheck, that they also have the moments that they need to invest in their family and their family's health. Right. So this is a really basic, you know, almost dumb question. (laughs) But So I know you've said that paid leave, the lack of paid leave, at least, is the root of women's inequality in the workplace. Right. So how does that work when it's actually taking women out of the workplace? And when they often return, you know, there's a stigma. Right. I mean, they they don't Mm. return at the same place that they did when they left. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so much wrapped up in that. Right. So it is a little counterintuitive to think about, okay, a policy that would allow people to be gone from work with pay for three months or six months or whatever whatever the policy is, like to think about that that policy helps to keep women in particular in the workforce. And I'll tell you the reason that it works that way. So, and I can tell that from my own experience. So I had my daughter nine years ago and she was like, I guess, another one of those easy babies, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> you know, really just a, a delight. I didn't have a lot of challenges, but um, I did have a lot of challenges myself. Um, really difficult birth, you know, dealt with postpartum depression, really had a deep sort of self-reckoning um, after becoming a mom that took a long time for me to sort of pull myself out of. And my employer at the time, offered three months of paid leave, really, by American standards, a very good benefit and a really great employer. And at that three-month mark, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to go back. I was still a mess, to be totally honest. And, you know, I had barely figured out breastfeeding. So I did go back to work because that was what my leave policy was. And in that month that I went back, everything just got worse. And I really went into this sort of downward spiral to the point where I ended up quitting that great job with that great employer because I wasn't ready to go back. And had I been able to go back when I I was ready, which was really only a few months later, I would probably still work for that employer today. Actually giving people who are adjusting to new children in their family, whether it's by birth or adoption, fostering, like that adjustment period is so intense. And regardless of the the health or anything else, 
you need to empower people to get used to that new reality so that they can then be their best person at work. And at a fundamental level, when employers think about why we should have paid leave policy, why they should have paid leave policy, it's the same reason that they should have um, any other policy that allows their employees to bring their best into work because they're well taken care of at home. Yeah, that makes total sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I think about this a lot when I think about the, because you've mentioned the leadership gap. And I think about that mm. a lot in relation to technology. Because mm. I spent the, and I, I'm sorry for listeners, I'm repeating myself, but I spent, you know, the good part of my career working in tech. And tech is notoriously unbalanced in terms of hiring and promoting mm-hmm. women, right? And I've been really outspoken about that. And I think, I think that that personally leads to a more hostile environment, not just in a tech workplace, but outside, like the, the software and the environments that they produce, like, you know, take Twitter, for instance, right? You know, it's a very hostile environment for women. And I think that that's in part due to the lack of women leadership in tech companies. What's the link between the lack of paid leave and the leadership gap in companies like this? Oh, yeah. So there's this beautiful graph of like professional career development. And I, it has a, a red line for the ladies and a blue line for the gentlemen. And if you start sort of at like career entry, you know, age 19, 20, you can see that the progress is actually really parallel. They're sort of progressing at the same rate until you get to age sort of late 20s. Once these men and women get to late 20s, you see the line of men's career progression continues to go up at pace and women start to flatten out and start to plateau in their career progression. And so what's happening? What's happening in your late 20s? Well, demographically, obviously, I'm speaking in in broad strokes here. What's happening then is professional women are starting to have babies and they're starting to have families that need care. So the first reason that I needed paid family leave actually wasn't to welcome my daughter. It was because my father-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, a really aggressive cancer. And within the space of a few months, he was in hospice care. And so my husband and I both took three weeks to go and be with him in those final weeks of life. Now, my employer didn't have to give me time off in order to do that. It's obviously the right thing to do. Most employers don't give people time off for that reason. And I have to say, like, if my father-in-law hadn't had anybody to take care of him, I would probably have quit my job to go and be with him in his final moments. Like that's, it's so funny. We talk about that as a choice. Like people have the choice to be with their families or no one should have to choose between a paycheck and their family. I really push back on that. I think it's not a choice. Like we have this profound responsibility to the people that we love. And when they're in a health crisis, you have to be there. And so if you go back to that graph and that plateau in our gendered society where women are the ones who are providing care, women are the ones who are meeting that family responsibility, even as more and more of us are entering and have entered this sort of paid professional workforce. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's not a choice. You're right. And another thing that I wanted to talk to you about was, and this may be obvious, is that when we have a lack of leadership, woman leadership, there is more of an environment set up for sexual harassment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just kind of an obvious link. Yeah, absolutely. So companies that do better in, you know, both 
present, preventing it from happening, but also responding to incidents of sexual harassment are companies that have women in leadership who understand <laughs> how all of that operates. And so <laughs> if you have a situation where starting in your late 20s, women are starting to fall off the career trajectory because of their caregiving responsibility, then when they're getting to, you know, age later 30s and 40s and 50s, there are fewer women to fill that leadership gap because they're all back where they were in their late 20s because they were not getting advanced because they're being discriminated against for their caregiving responsibilities. That's happening across the board. That's happening in every industry. And you see how that plays out in negative work environment for women. You know, how much of this is about changing our our culture, right? Let's say some companies do have paid parental leave. and But when a woman comes back, I think there's a stigma that follows her that would not follow a man if he were to take three months off, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's that like horrible statistic. I get mad every time I read it that when you become a mother, you take a pay cut. When you become a father, you get a pay raise. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's like a 6% pay raise because you're a family man now. Um, What BS, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I see that in my own. You know, I have a seven year old and my, you know, my husband, they have, you know, like paid parental leave for either a mother or a father. And he's like, great, mm-hmm. you know, I get, you know, parental leave. I'm like, great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is great, but you're going to go back and you're going to get a nice, you know, boost from that. Whereas me, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing around parental leave is interesting. So we just did a survey of sort of a broad popular, sort of a slice of men in America Um, and asked them, basically, do you want parental leave? How much parental leave do you want? Um, If you had it, would you use it? Why or why not? Those sorts of questions. And men overwhelmingly want parental leave. Millennial men especially want equitable leave. They want to be able to really take a lot of time at home at the same way um, their partners are, where there's partners. And the interesting thing was... We asked, do you think your employer would support you in taking leave? And half of the men said they would be worried about how their employer would perceive them if they took the full leave allotted to them. So there is this cultural thing that that men are pushing up against too around, you know, will people think I'm serious in my career if I am gone for three months welcoming a new child to my family or taking care of my spouse? And I think that's I think that's super real. And in order to really have highly effective paid leave policy, we have to also change culture so that the people taking advantage of that policy are all the people, not just women. Yeah. You know, for me, this is about power. I Mm -hmm. think it's so interesting that we're talking about this right now. You know, we've had the pink wave and we have a historic number of women who were just elected to the house. And of course, there's the squad. I love the squad. (laughs) I know. I love the squad, the amazing squad. But, you know, frankly, without paid parental leave or without policies like this, paid leave, you know, fewer women have the freedom to run for office, right? So for me, this mm. comes down to power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that wrong? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 
know. When, like, look, it's a I mean, vicious, like linking it to- It's a vicious cycle too, right? Like if you look at the ages of women in office, women in office are older than men in office at, in general. Oh, I didn't know that. And one of the main drivers of that is that women wait to run for major office until the kids are out of the house. Whereas you talk to any male congressperson, a lot of them have young kids at home. Um, and what they also have is a stay-at-home partner. So it's this cycle where you have caregiving responsibility as a barrier to seeking office. And then you have an abundance of people without caregiving responsibilities in office who then have blind spots as they're making policy and they deprioritize that problem because it's not a problem they have. Right? Right. Exactly. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See? Yeah. But we can change that too. And I feel really hopeful, especially about, of course, about more women getting into office. Absolutely. And in particular, more women who are providing care getting into office. But I have a lot of hope about the younger generation of Congress people overall, because even within the ranks of men in that class of Congress people, they get it. I mean, look at like Colin Allred out of Texas, for example. He took a leave right in the middle of his election because that was when his baby was born. What a big deal to see somebody take their family responsibility so seriously and so directly in that way from a leadership position like that. And he won his election and continues to make being a champion for families a part of his work. So it's, I mean, representation always matters. And I think for the issue like this, the gender politics are changing at the same time we're seeing a growth in women's power. I want to talk about, because you've had some successes, I want to talk about some of the successes. So Starbucks, who is ironically in the news again today. Oh, are they? Starbucks. I think so. I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> and in yeah, yeah, day, yeah. who knows? So you led a campaign that led to Starbucks having a paid family leave policy. How did you accomplish that? One thing that I noticed when I first got PLUS off the ground. So PLUS is a national campaign to win paid family leave for everyone uh, in the U.S. And what I noticed was that nobody was really holding companies to account for their values in how they treated their employees. But a lot of companies, and I think at the time, Netflix was one of them, were were bragging about the parental leave. They were starting to see that good parental leave policy was good for their brand. So I dug into it and I looked at, all right, like they're getting all this credit, but what do those policies really look like? And they were really discriminatory. You know, companies were getting credit for policies that left out men entirely, which we know exacerbates the women's wage gap um, and also has a disproportionate effect on LGBTQ families. Um, They were also concentrating paid leave benefits in the corporate office. So Starbucks is an example of that, where they rolled out 
about this policy to great fanfare. And then when you scratched the surface, what you saw was that it only applied, their generous parental leave only applied to 3% of their workforce. It just applied to the people in the corporate office. So all the baristas, everyone was left out. And then the minimal policy they did give to baristas completely excluded men. So that's just not acceptable. And if you look at Starbucks, Starbucks as a company, I mean, they have been major sponsors of pride parades around the country for years. And here was this parental leave policy that was disproportionately discriminatory against the LGBTQ community. So we made that more visible to them. We worked really closely with several baristas. Most of them actually, some of them were already parents, some of them weren't, to really help them to see and understand the impact that that kind of policy that excludes men, that doesn't actually give the benefit to the lowest paid employees, that that's really not aligned with Starbucks values. My favorite moment in that campaign was when one of the women we were working with, one of the baristas, we got to sit down meeting with their VP of global benefits. We sit down in that meeting. And in the course of the meeting, there's this moment where she turns to him and says, are you actually telling me that my baby deserves less time with me than your baby deserves with you? Wow. Yeah. And it was just so powerful. And that's really what we're talking about when we talk about paid leave. It's families. This isn't like, yes, you can think about this as a work benefit. Yes, you can think about this as something that helps with gender equality, all of these things. And at its core, it's really about that family is the most important thing. It's good for everyone for you to be able to be with your family when it matters most. And we need policy to reflect that. Yeah. You know, I feel like, and then correct me if I'm wrong, I just feel like Starbucks and, you know, there's lots of criticism to go around. I mean, any company, people will find something to criticize them about. But I feel like it's one of those companies that when they do know better or when they really understand what the issue is, they try to do better. I mean, and they did. Yeah. Starbucks fixed their policy. Um, and so now everyone's included. And Starbucks even went a step further and they include their part time staff in their paid leave policy, which is unusual for the the retail and restaurant sector. So I really commend them for responding to the call from their employees and changing. And Walmart did the same thing. We worked with women uh, in this organization called Organization for Respect. It's all Walmart and other retail employees really organizing for good benefits. And in that campaign, we were able to win 10 weeks of fully paid leave for full-time Walmart employees. So that's I think altogether through all of our private sector work, we've now won leave for nearly 6 million people wow. in the country. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. It, I, but then my fit, we had this moment where um, a woman we work with, her brother works at Walmart and was expecting, and she wasn't a part of that campaign, but I told her we went at Walmart and she was like, oh my gosh, my brother's going to be a dad. And she called him up and he was like, yeah, I just found out I get paternity <laughs> leave. Um, and I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that just fuels you to work every day when you can see that there's a there's a real dad out there who got time with his new baby because of this work. It's really, really powerful. Yeah, you know, and, and I commend those companies for doing that. And, you know, the thing is, is that we need to be smarter constituents and smarter consumers about this, because I know that a lot of these companies who kind of parade like, oh, we've got, you know, paid leave. 
they're leaving out non-full-time employees. They're, they're leaving mm-hmm. out people who, let's say, I don't I don't want to call anyone out because I don't know what Amazon's paid leave policy is. But, you know, maybe they're leaving out warehouse workers or, you know, people in the lower rung of their workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's happening is that we're creating a, a class system within the workplace, right? You know, some people can, can afford to fully take care of their families because they have leave and the people who are making the least can't. Right. Right. I mean, we talk so much about income inequality, but there's also this huge divide in benefits and safety net equality um, that translates into inequality of time where families literally don't have the time to invest in themselves and each other. There's this campaign that was really popular around where I live in San Francisco um, called Talk, Read, Sing. Talk, Read, Sing to your baby. It's all about helping your baby develop verbal skills, which then help for the rest of their lives. Really good campaign. has had a really positive impact. And the parents that that campaign is targeted after are parents who are working three part-time jobs who are struggling to afford the childcare in order to work those three part-time jobs, where do they have the time to talk, read, and sing? Exactly. <laughs> they get home at 3 a.m. and wake your baby up. It's like, hey, right. how's your day? Right. Yeah. Right. So these issues are so interconnected and I think policymakers for far too long have taken it for granted that there's someone out there who will do the unpaid labor of caring for children and caring for seriously ill loved ones. And the fact is, that's just not true anymore. There are not a lot of someone's out there who can afford to work for free. Yeah. You know, you're so optimistic and you're the perfect person to run this orb because I'm just thinking of all of these problems. I'm like, you know, we don't value women in this country. We, we don't value mothers. We don't value poor people. And <laughs> ah, I'm so angry. And you're just like, we're going to do this. <laughs> and I'm just going to rant about it. So, <laughs> I mean, the thing that I always think about is that um, like, Yes, we have these problems because patriarchy. And yes, we have them because misogyny. And yes, we have them because racism. And we also have them because human beings make decisions every day that lead to these bad outcomes. And so as long as I focus on who are the human beings who are making the decisions that cause this harm and how do I get them to change or get them out of power? Like those are, (laughs) those are the options. And that, that kind of focus is what drives me and what I've built this organization around. That's amazing. I should have taken that approach to my week. Real talk, real talk. <laughs> Who are the people responsible for my laptop crashing? Oh, God. I get to those people. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, but but so you are, you know, you've got an ambitious campaign. So I know that you have a national campaign to win paid family leave by 2022, which is just two years after the next presidential election. How, That's right. Really? How are, how are we going to do that? Yeah, um, it's so within our reach. So 
Paid family leave is one of the most well-developed policy proposals in the country right now. We have it in now eight states have passed um, state-level paid family leave. So um, a lot of policymakers think, say, oh, you know, the st- states are really like the petri dishes. It's where you sort of figure out what works and what doesn't for policy. We know exactly what works. So it's like it's ready to go. Um, and then we have bipartisan engagement. This is an issue where in the in the 2016 election, it was spoken about by all of the presidential candidates. It's something that we're seeing move. We're seeing proposals in Congress from Republicans and Democrats. So there's this like Unlike a lot of other issues, there's also bipartisan interest. And then the third thing that really makes me think that this is a thing that we can win is that the momentum in the business sector and among the broader public is growing so fast. When I started working on this issue back in 2006, the big question was, this was a new idea to businesses in the U.S. And I say in the U.S. really pointedly because, again, most countries in the world have had paid family leave since World War II. So like, (laughs) this is not like (laughs) magical and new. And a lot of the multinational corporations that run in the US that have terrible policies in the US are giving people in Sweden a year and a half. So just like, keep that in mind. Um, But in the US, it's changing. Major employers like Walmart and Starbucks now have these policies in place. Small businesses are starting to understand that paid leave policy helps them because it gives them a way to offer paid leave to their employees without incurring extra cost. So we're seeing all of these pieces come together in a time when the public is interested in this. There's articles in the news and you know viral moments on social media all the time about paid family leave in a way that I've never seen before. We have to capture this moment. And if we want to win, you have to set a deadline for yourself. You have to say, what are we going to do to win by this day? Because that forces you to make tough decisions. It forces you to say, all right, if we want to win this, that means we need to get these 50 legislators to say they're going to support it by this day. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. when we have to do that. So I'm a really firm believer in setting time bound specific goals that really force you to sharpen and hone your strategy so that you can achieve what you want to achieve. Yeah. And then you publish it all over the internet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and I want, you know, I want our leaders in Congress to hear, we want to win by 2022. Yeah. I want their constituents to say, get this done. Um, because there's no action without urgency, as the old organizing philosophy goes. And so we've got to show how urgent this is. Yeah. Okay. So final question. So given that, where should our focus be, right? Like, so people are really focused on the presidency as they should be, right? But where is it really one? Uh, in the next year, it's one in the House. So in the House, it's Democratic controlled. We have a big opportunity to pass high quality paid family leave. And that's really important because the way the legislative process works, you've got the House and the Senate. The House and the Senate both vote on their own versions of bills. And then they have to come together and compromise and agree, all right, here's the final thing that we're going to put in front of the president. So in the House, our strategy is to pass as like an awesome, like the best bill we can possibly pass. Then in the Senate, 
after the presidential election, that's where the fight is really going to happen because the Senate has a lot more Congress people who aren't as familiar with paid leave as an issue. And some of those people are Republicans. There's also some conservative Democrats who really are just starting to understand what this issue is, how it works, and who right now we're working with them to help them move through the process of going from, oh, like paid family leave is something that the private industry should do, which is where all, you know, conservatives start into, oh, like, this is an actual meaningful investment that we can make in America. Um, and here's how we can do it. Here's the way that all the states have done it. So we're taking people on that journey right now. And so if we think about like, where can your listeners get involved this year, it's call your congressperson, your person in the house and tell them to pass high quality paid family leave. And people can go to paidleave.us to find ways to take action on that. And then if they're thinking about engaging in the election, if you, of a senator who's up for election, they need to know that paid family leave is a top priority issue for you because we need to help the Senate have more paid family leave champions in order to win the kind of bill we want. Like what will happen if we don't do that is the Senate will pass something that sucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like something's going to move and our job is to make the best thing possible move. Yeah, that's excellent advice. Yeah. And then and then we won't revisit it for like another 20 years you know, if something terrible passes. Yeah. I mean, I think the most important things for for us to think about as far as like what what we do with this chance, this momentum, is we need to make sure that we pass policy that applies to as many people as possible. So many workplace policies exclude our most vulnerable working populations. They exclude domestic workers. They exclude farm workers. They exclude independent contractors. These are huge, huge numbers of people who need safety net policy because their employers don't provide them. So I want to make sure that what what passes, the final law that passes in 2022 needs to apply to as many people as possible. And then my super nerdy policy self, I want to make sure that it's set up the right way that we can build on. So those are the two things that matter to me. And everything else is like, we've got to then fight for the, the number of amount of time that people need and all of those other things. Well, excellent. Well, Katie Bethel, thank you so much for your work. And yeah, keep up the good work, I guess. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. It's been really fun talking. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please consider supporting the electorate on Patreon. For about $2 a month, you can help us bring you more great episodes just like this one. Visit us at patreon.com slash electorate to join the first tier of support for just $2. A little will take us a long way. You can also help the electorate by leaving a review on iTunes and following the electorate on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and that's at electorate. Thank you so much again for listening, and until next time, keep up the good fight. <laughs>